I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, is running after me. Father, we are here, oh God, because your goodness is running after us. God, we, we can admit before your throne, oh God, that we have not run to you always, oh God. But you've run after us always, oh God. Lord, you were determined for us to serve you. Determined, oh God, that we would get this right. So you continued with your faithfulness, oh God. You continued moving mountains, oh God. You continue telling us that you can do anything, oh God. We know that it is just your goodness, God, because we don't deserve it. God, we don't deserve it. But you, God, have loved us that much. So, Lord, we open our hearts and minds today to hear from your word. As we've been studying the battlefield of the mind, Lord God, Father, we're asking that your word, Lord God, would be the most prominent thing in our minds. That your voice, God, would be the loudest voice in our minds, oh God. So, God, we ask that you would speak today. Lord, not a man speaking, for these lips of clay can do nothing. But it's you, God, speaking spirit to spirit, oh God. So, Lord, you know every need, every heart, every place, Lord God. So I'm asking that you would just speak now, God. Lord, I stand aside so that you can have your way. God, speak to your people. They need to hear you. We need to hear you, oh God. We bless you and we honor you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to finish this series on great faith today. And my dear brother, Pastor Darren, with his unique style, (laughs) has his own way of getting his message across. But I want to speak one point of that message or what I believe was the heart of it and how it ties into what God has been speaking to us. When he talked about when the promise cries, not when the mother cried, but when the promise cried, because God spoke to Abraham and God said that his seed would be blessed. So the seed was the promise. So when it seemed like the seed The promise was going to die and the promise cried out. God responded to the promise. Now, while the mom was upset, the person, the human, the one that was emotionally involved in it was upset. God's like, you're going to be okay." But when the promise cried, when the actual thing that God promised was in danger, God moved. So if God has spoken something to you. Even though I might be upset because of what it looked like, what it feels like, God is not going to let his promise die. Because when that promise is in danger, he will hear the voice of the promise and he will respond to the voice of the promise. So the promise will never die. God will protect his promise. God will protect his promise. So how does that fit? Well, that goes back to faith. And today we're going to be talking about using our faith. Mm. And, and just give me a minute. Just let me talk about this. This is the last time 
I'm going to talk about this series, and I'm going to take a little extra time today, but this is the last time I'm going to do that. I'm going to get back to my Rockland County audience, I promise you. But I need to, I need to get this out, because what I've been struggling with, what I've been battling with, what God has been dealing with me with, was the idea of holding on to my hope. Because what I've seen, what I saw, what it could be, is being attacked by all of these other things. And then God brought me back to something that we spoke about. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my father. Well, what does that got to do with faith? Well, if I'm saying that I believe in Jesus, then that means I've got to do the things that Jesus told me to do. So even though I might be frustrated and upset and tired and wondering when God and why God and how God and those things start to work on my emotions. Well, the one thing that I've got to remember is that I've got to stay focused on what God wants. Because just saying the words, that's not it. Just saying, Lord, Lord, that's not it. I've got to do the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? Is to believe on the Son. See, God wants us to be saved. That's what his desire is for us. So believing on the Son, doing what he says, that's how we accomplish the will of the Father in our lives. We've got to follow Jesus. But, what is, but that means you've got to do some stuff. You, you got to do some stuff. It, family, we can't just keep saying we saved, that we believe in Jesus, and don't do the stuff that manifests that. That's not how this works. We keep talking about the battlefield of the mind. We keep talking about meditating on his word. We keep talking about that as we meditate, as we think about, as we take in, as we hold on to these things that God wants from us, then we will be able to do it. But we got to think on those things. So our focus scripture for today is James 2. I, I, I don't know why the Lord just won't let me let this point go. You, you can't just keep saying that you're saved. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're saying that you're saved and you're not living a, pers- a life of a saved person, then you could end up in hell. And y'all know I'm not the fire and brimstone, heaven, hell preacher. I don't do that kind of stuff. But the reality of hell is real. Hell is real. It's not, it's not, and not everybody's going to heaven. Not everybody's going to heaven. And not everybody that's in church is going to heaven either. And not everyone that's saying, Lord, Lord, is going to heaven either. Not everyone that's singing the pretty songs is going to heaven. But he that does the will of the Father. Well, how do I know I'm in his will? James 2, starting at verse 14. And I'm going to read from the message. Dear friends... Do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, if you come in front of an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup? What does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe your complacency sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Yeah, I know. Verse 21. Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoke partners, that faith expresses itself in works, that works are works of faith? The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his actions. It's that weave of believing and acting that God that got Abraham named God's friend. Is is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by faith, fruitful and works? The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her actions in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing that counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works and you get the same thing, a corpse. The reason why I wanted to to, to read that whole passage is because the two examples that was used was Abraham and and Rahab. Now, Abraham is like, oh, Abraham, God's friend, the the righteous man. But if you look at Abraham's life, you realize he messed up a couple of times, a few times. And in Rahab, she was a harlot. But her actions made her righteous. Let all the conservative evangelicals try to figure that out. How is a harlot righteous? That's what the Bible said. Didn't say she was an ex harlot. <laughs> Come to Bible study, I'll show you how to figure it out. But the reality is that from one end of the spectrum to the other is the person that believes and then does something. That's what makes them righteous. You could just say that you believe in something. You could just do good stuff. But it's the faith and the believing that goes together. Because just doing good works without actually having faith in Christ gets you nowhere also. I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm serving God in my own way. No, you need to serve God in the way that God said he need to be served. I, I remember somebody told me that, I, I, you know, I, I serve God in my own way. I, well, I'm, I hope God is OK with that. However, you decided you're going to serve him. I hope he's OK with that. So maybe you need to have a conversation with him before you decide how to worship him. Look, we've got to reject this idea that being saved means I came to the altar, I said some words, and that's it. Because a lot of people come to the altar and say some words, and nothing changes. Look, we might struggle, and that's fine. 
And my struggle might not look like your struggle. The things I'm struggling with, you might just like, oh, man, I, come on, man, I'll show you how to do that. Things you're struggling with, I might look at it and say, no, you can do this. I've been through it, seen it. But we all struggle. And then sometimes we fall, but we get back up and we keep moving forward because we've got to add some works to what we say we believe. We've got to use our faith. This is a good thing about being a child of God is that you know that if you keep going, you're going to win because it's already written in the end of the book that you win. It's, it's already it's a guarantee that you're going to get an A for this class. You just got to get through the class. <laughs> I used to tell my Bible school students, like, I guarantee you a pass if you do the work. So the one thing I will not do for you is the work. But I will help you get the work done so that you will pass. But you got to do the work. You don't do the work, you ain't going to pass. I'm not giving anybody a passing grade who did not do the work. And if you read the book, the only way that I know that my faith is real is that I'm doing the work. How do I know it's real? It's because that faith has made a change in me, in my heart, in my mind. So now that I think and feel differently, so if I think and feel differently, then I do differently. Mm, We're going to get to it. As we discussed, all faith is not the same. We can have nothing faith. That's where it's, what we believe is just made up in our own mind. We can have saving faith where we just know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, but no further than that. And then we can have that active faith that grows into a great faith. But how do we know? Well, as we discussed, you have to evaluate your faith. This thing you call in faith, what is it really? What is it really? Does it recognize Jesus's authority? Is it humble? Is it genuine or is it just something that's fake and put on? And if it is genuine faith, then you've got to do some stuff with that. You've got to strengthen that faith. Ah, God. You've got to allow that faith to be tested because you don't know how strong it is until you've gone through the test. And then you've got to maintain the faith. For those that are like, what is he talking about? Go back a couple of weeks and listen to it again. It's on the website and it's on YouTube. Why is this so important? Because no matter what, when we get to this point, we've got to use our faith and it's not an option. Using our faith is not an option. Why? Because the first thing is that great faith is expected. In Matthew 8, starting at the 23rd verse, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you the story. You remember that the Jesus disciples were on the boat. And he was sleeping in the rear of the boat. And, and, and they like scared now because they're in the midst of a real storm. And Jesus is sleeping in the rear of the boat. So they go back and they wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And he's like, what? What? When waves be still, why are y'all so scared? Why do you have such little faith? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Now, we not just people that Sunday morning surfers. We actually work on the water. 
And if we waking you up telling you that this thing is about to go bad, what do you mean? Why are we afraid? Okay, don't act like you haven't had like (laughs) Jesus. Why aren't you answering me? Why are you sleeping in the middle of my boat? My boat about to flip over and you see, Jesus, why are you just back there sleeping? Don't you care that we perish? Okay, it's just a couple of us that had that conversation. The rest of y'all like, oh, no, I would never, ever talk to the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth that way. I've had some, Jesus, Jesus, are you listening to me? Oh, why aren't God? Why? Why? Why aren't you fixing this thing now? I'm doing what you told me to do. Why aren't you fixing this? Mother Allen, those of you that know Mother Allen had an accident this week. And when when I saw her, she we were still in, in the emergency department. She was like, you know, what's going on here? She's like, I was doing the work of the Lord. How you end up in the emergency room while you doing the work of the Lord? Now, those that don't know, I, can you imagine? I'm doing something for the kingdom of God. It was like the disciples on the boat. We're doing, we're going to minister where you told us to minister. We with you, we backing you up, and here we are in the middle of the storm, about to die, and you sleeping in the back of the boat. Jesus, come on, man! What's going on here? Well. Jesus was more concerned about the state of their hearts than their circumstance. He wasn't worried about no storm because for he can do anything. Wind and waves, that stop. Even at the end of it, they're like, what kind of man is this that the wind and the waves actually do what he tell them to do? See, they didn't have the the, the book. We can look back and we, we read the book. So now we know that what kind of man he is. We know where he's coming from. We know what he's, that he can speak to the wind and the waves and say, stop. Stop. He could say, just get up from that hospital bed. You ain't got to be in there no more. Because he can do anything. But he was more concerned about the state of their hearts than their circumstance. Fear is being concerned about a negative outcome. Jesus has an expectation that we believe in him more than we worried about the fear. Oh, boy. He expects us to trust him in the, gr- in the grimmest circumstances. You need to hear what I'm saying. That many folk have come under the wrong impression that once you are saved, bad things is not supposed to happen to you. That you should be able to pray enough, fast enough, do all of these kind of things, and then everything is good because you're a child of God and you're walking under the things of God. And God's grace and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. This is what we expecting from God. But when you read the book, you realize they went through the same kinds of stuff that we went through. Everybody in the book had to deal with the same human challenges that we had to. And the bigger things that God had for them, the greater the challenges that they went through. But they all went through the same kinds of stuff. And Jesus is expecting us to believe him. 
We've got to use our faith because the Lord expects us to use our faith. There's no such thing as that you're going to get a pass because you're whining and crying about you don't like your circumstance. Now, I don't mean to sound harsh and without any sympathy because I've been through some stuff. And there was times when I was crying. I don't whine much, but I was crying. And Lord, please, Jesus. But he expects us to believe in him. He's not like, oh, I know you're going through. It's okay that you're doubting now. It's okay that you're worried and anxious now. It's okay, because I know it's really hard. I haven't seen that. Let's go Old Testament with Job. After all of that that Job went through, after God put him out there, when God spoke to Job, he did not apologize for what he went through. So here these fishermen, seasoned fishermen, know how to work a boat, know how to get through a storm, fearing for their life, and Jesus is like, why are you so afraid? Hmm. When the test comes, he expects us to believe. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That you're not going to get a pass for doubting. We don't get a pass for crying about it. We don't get a pass because it's upsetting. We don't get a pass because it's scary. He expects us to believe. What's going to happen now? Believe. Now, what's going to happen now might be real. The thing that's going on, it might be real. But he expects us to believe. Ooh, I I wish this was Bible study so I could ask some questions because I'm seeing your faces. I'm seeing your faces and it's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It means that when all the darkness is coming around us, we're expected to look for the light. We're expected to find that light and we're expected to move towards that light. We're expected to call on that light. We are not expected to lay down and let the darkness surround us. Because if we belong to him, there's always a light. If we belong to him, there's always a light. And I tell you the truth, like Pastor D preaches about all the time, look for that token of good. Because God in the midst of your circumstance is doing something. Like even with the disciples in the boat, what they could have, it's like Jesus is in the boat with us. Well, if he ain't going to get up, I'm going to go lay down next to him. So if we going down, I'm going down with Jesus. If we going to drown, we going to drown with Jesus. They didn't have that understanding back then. We do. So while you feel like you're drowning, are you in the front of the boat crying and yelling at Jesus? Why don't he get up and do something about your circumstance? Or it's like, I'm just going to hold on to him. I seen him walk on water, so I'm just for hey, look. If the boat go down, I'm still walking with Jesus. Mm, Oh, Lord. We got to ask ourselves like the disciples ask, why are you so afraid? What is it that you're actually focusing on? What's the loudest voice that's in your head? (laughs) Is the thing you're facing bigger and mightier than Jesus? 
Because if you're that afraid, then you would have to say that that thing is bigger and mightier than Jesus. Say you're in a, a situation where if it doesn't work out, the loss is going to be real and significant and tangible. Say you lost your job and you don't have no money left to pay your mortgage. So you know that this is for real. This, this, is, this, is, not, this is not a joke here. I need to have some place to live. I cannot live in the back of my car. He expects you to believe. He expects you to look to him even in the midst of that circumstance. He expects you to hold on to him that whatever you've got to go through and however your situation has to change, that he will hold your hand and bring you to the other side. He expects you to believe. Why are you so afraid? Because I won't have any place to live. What did the Bible say? What did the Bible say? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So I might not be able to live here anymore, but I will have some place to live. And I know that wherever I am, the joy of the Lord will follow me. So even if it's not what I want, I can still live in peace. I can still live in joy. I can still hold my hand up. I can still worship God. I can still praise him. I can still give him glory, even though it's not what I want. He expects us. To believe. Like, Pastor, you asking a lot. Well, here's a good thing. Great faith starts small. Okay. Matthew 17. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Previously to that, they were trying to cast out a demon, but they didn't. They couldn't. So, Jesus, bring the boy to me. Jesus takes care of it, and they wanted to know why couldn't we drive it out. He said in verse 20, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So what is this about? Well, the way I looked at it is that the disciples was imitating Jesus, but without the actual faith. Now, they had seen Jesus cast out demons so that they went and I cast you out. Well, how come nothing's happening? Because you're just saying words that you heard Jesus say and don't actually have the faith. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy because we could believe we believe in. We believe we have faith. But actually, all we're doing is just saying the words we heard somebody else say. <laughs> they, they knew the words that the demons should have responded to, but they didn't possess the conviction that the demon needed to go. See, Jesus understood that this demon is inhabiting a person and he can't stay there. 
and he came so that that person would be free. And you, demon, cannot stay in some place that I have said is going to be clean. You can't. Now, the disciples knew the words, but they didn't have the understanding that this demon is torturing this child and this child belongs to God and this demon can no longer... God can't stay here because you got to go, demon. It don't belong to you. This boy don't belong to you. You can't have him. You've got to go. This is why Jesus came. This is why he, he came and showed us what to do so that you, demon, cannot just take over whoever you want. They didn't know that. They just knew the words. Uh, I, I, see the, I see it clicking for some people now. I see it clicking. Now you realize that, oh, okay, when I'm praying against that thing, I need to pray about it in the right context. It's not just about saying the words, but it's about understanding what it is that God wants to accomplish by this thing being done. So when I'm praying, when I'm asking God to do something, I'm praying according to what God would want done, not just saying what I've seen everybody else say. So when you're praying for that sick loved one and you want them to be healed, are you praying for them to be healed because you don't like the fact that they're sick? Or have you understand that the God of the universe has the ability to take this thing that's broken and making it right? Are you understanding that the God of the universe has a plan for this person's life? So you're stepping in as a conduit to bring God's will into this situation, whatever that will might be. And understanding that the God of the universe, when you reach his hand and touch someone else's hand, the power of God flows through you into them. And he can do anything. Prayer brings that conviction. That's why Jesus said this kind only comes out by prayer. And the the newer translation says and fasting. So to be able to move on that spiritual level. You've got to spend enough time in the presence of God where you start to feel the presence of God, where you start to take it in, where you start to become like him. Where it's less of you and more of God. So that when you are facing the opposition from the enemy, it's not about you. It's about God's will being done through you. Great faith starts small. So don't look for a big show. Just believe. You don't have to have choirs of angels. You don't have to have a bright light that wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, thus saith the Lord. Because you know those things only speak in King James. You don't need the big show. Just believe. Don't wait for an overwhelming feeling. Ooh, I feel it now. Ooh, ha, ha, ha. ooh, my, I feel my help coming on. Now I can pray. Now I can believe. Ooh, ha, ha, ha. There may not be no who or no I. Just believe. You may not have no strong feeling about anything, but you know what God said. And then you just believe. You just believe. It starts small. That's why he said faith, the grain of a mustard seed. It don't have to be this all this extra. Just believe. Can you just believe? Ah, 
You don't have to wait for it to make sense. Wait for all the pieces to fall together. Okay, now I see what God is doing. Now I believe God. No, it don't have to make sense. Just believe. And then don't doubt God's word. Just believe it. Just stop asking questions about what God said. Did God say it? I heard a story a long time ago that when a woman was told that she needed to stand on the word. So what she did was put her Bible on the floor and stood on top of it. Now, if you think God didn't answer that, of course he did, because I don't I don't know any of this stuff. I'm supposed to stand on the word. So I'm literally going to stand on the word because that's the extent of what my faith says. So I don't know anything else. That's what I'm going to do. If the Bible says I should pray about it, I'm going to pray about it. If the Bible says that God can heal, then God can heal. If the Bible says that God can deliver, then God can deliver. If the Bible says that I am loved, then I am loved. If the Bible says that I am protected, I am protected. Because the Bible said so. Don't doubt what he says. If he said it, that makes it possible. It might be possible, impossible for me. But if God said it, that makes it possible. I remember Pastor D um, told someone that, that, that they was going to have a child. And... and the people were like, oh, well, she don't know. The person has problems. They're not going to be able to have a child. How long? It was a year later. It, it might not even have been a year later and the person was pregnant because God said so. Yeah. Ha! Just because God said so. And here this woman that they don't know that's speaking something that ain't really her business, but she was told to say it. So she said she said what God told her to say. And they were, they were very sympathetic. Though. It's like, oh. She don't know that that's not possible. But God said it. And it was possible because God said it. And I'm going to end very shortly. (laughs) Great faith is expected. Great faith (laughs) starts small and great faith defends. Ephesians 6 tells us that we are in a spiritual battle, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but rulers, powers, authorities, evil forces in the heavenly realms. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. The stuff we see, that's that's just the instruments that's being used. The real problem is the spiritual forces behind it. I, I want everybody to get that message real clear especially those of you who are strongly political. Hear what I'm saying. The Democrats aren't the problem. The Republicans aren't the problem. The independents, the conservatives, the liberals, that's not the problem. The problem is the rulers, the authorities, the spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the problem. So when you're trying to decide what you need to fight for, understand what you're fighting against. Those Democrats, those Republicans, it's like, you don't see it? You, you, don't see, you don't see that this is the enemy behind all of this? You don't see that? 
Yeah, I just want you to sit on it for a moment. For everybody that's got a strong allegiance to a political party, hasn't God embarrassed them both enough by now for you to realize that they are not your answer? God has embarrassed both sides enough by this point. you got to see that, that you putting your hope in what? <laughs> but God has given us armor. So when we see this stuff going on, starting at verse 14 of Ephesians 6, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and request. I want to focus on the faith part, because in addition to truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace, we have to take up the shield of faith. And, and I'm going to finish in a few minutes. This is the part. This is the part where, where all this that I've been talking about over these last three messages has come down to. See, you've got to have hope. If we're going to continue to live, we've got to have hope. But the thing that defends our hope is our faith. See, and according to Ephesians 6, we have to understand that faith is used like a shield. So I'm taking up my shield of faith. Okay, understand what you're saying. Your faith is used like a shield, which means that you hold it out in front of you. Or you hide behind it. But it has to be the first thing that the enemy has to deal with is your faith. See, in order for us to keep going forward and become what God wants us to do, we have to protect our mind, our emotion and our actions. Faith protects our minds because even though you may have on the helmet of salvation, understand this. If you get hit in the head with a helmet, you still can get knocked down. Anybody play football know that the helmet ain't going to stop you from getting tackled. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, I can have the knowledge of salvation protecting my mind, but I can still get rocked and knocked off my feet. So I can know that I'm saved, but I don't that doesn't mean that's going to guarantee me success in the fight. I can still end up laid out and still know that I'm saved. But if I hold up my shield of faith, then the enemy has got to get through faith before it even gets to my mind in order to knock me down. It can't come around and messing with what's in my head. If faith is the first thing that the enemy has to deal with, what is it that I believe about God? What is it that I believe about myself? Even before it gets to my salvation, what I believe about God, what I believe about myself, those are the things that protect my mind. See, because if you allow the devil to start getting in your head and making you doubt who you are, doubt who God is, once that starts to happen, I'm saved, but... I'm saved, but if you're holding up your shield of faith, then it's like, nope, I'm saved, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I know I got some stuff to work on, but that's why Jesus died on the cross, because the faith that I have is putting in the work that Jesus did on the cross. I am saved because of Jesus. I am saved because I'm covered in the blood. My mind don't have to make sense out of this thing. What the word of God said was that if I believe, then I am saved. So I know that I'm a child of God because Jesus died on the cross, washed me in his blood, wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. I know that I'm saved. So whenever the devil coming in my mind talking all of this nonsense, remember you did this. Remember you thought that. Remember this. Remember that. I know that I'm saved. I believe. I understand that it is not by what I've done. It's understand that it's because of Jesus that I'm saved. It is solidly in my mind. But then my faith actually protects my emotions, too. Ooh, Jesus. And, and you know, this is where a lot of us live, in our feelings. Everybody in their feelings. Now, look, I got feelings, too. It took me a long time to realize that, but I do. And we have to manage our emotions. But your faith can help you manage your emotions. See, because the good emotions, we ain't got no problem with that. Yay, fun. <laughs> Laugh and joking, and that's, that's good. But the negative emotions, fear and anxiety. When I start to worry about stuff, and, and some of these things is stuff I actually should be concerned about. I'm not just worrying about, oh, oh, my grass is too short. It's grass. <laughs> Throw some water on it. Throw some seeds on it. Whatever. It's grass. But my child is not acting right. My spouse is not acting right. My, my pastor is not acting right. And these things start to hit you in your emotions. And you start to feel this. My faith protects my emotions. See, because I know what God says, but now I take what I feel and I give that to God. I believe that my sadness I can take to God and I can talk to him about how I feel. I believe my depression, I can take it to God and he can shine light into the thing where I only could saw darkness. I believe that this loneliness that I'm feeling on the inside, I can bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to feel your presence. I need to feel your arms wrapped around me. I need you to comfort me. I need you to give me peace. So my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ protects my emotions because everything that's going on in me, I can bring it to him. I don't have to try to find answers for it on my own. I just like, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Some of the deepest prayers I've ever prayed was laying in the bed saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. When your emotions become so overwhelming that you can't even get words out of your mouth, the Lord still understands those things. But if you need to call on the name of the Lord in order to experience those things, if you're just calling all your friends, calling on the internet, calling on everything else that just going to validate what you feel, but not seeking the presence of the Lord. Then here come the enemy with his fiery darts and it'll get you every time. 
His fiery darts will get you every time. You're always going to feel like this. There's never going to be no hope for you. It's never going to get any better. You might as well kill yourself. Because at the end of the day, that's what he wants. See, because he can't make you do it. But he can make you feel like you need to do it. He can make you feel like that's the only out for what you're going through. But my faith, my belief and my trust in God guards my emotions. But I got to take those emotions to the Lord. And finally, my faith actually guards my actions. Minister Jack was talking about it in Sunday school this morning. It's like, nope, I can't do that. I, I can't do that. This is what God said about it. I can't do that. I am not going to dishonor God by behaving that way. <sighs> See, my faith lets me know what I can do and what I can't do. When my mind and my heart and everything, well, what should I do? What should I do? It's like, well, what do you believe? What do you trust in? What do you know to be true? If you're trying to make a decision about what to do next, what is it that you believe? What do you know to be true? You too. How many times does God have to say what your house going to look like before you start looking for that kind of house? How many times with how many people who ain't been talking to each other all saying exactly the same thing? So if I was you, I'd look for the house that everybody keep telling you that you need to look for and believe God. How's it going to work out? You don't need to know because it don't have to be a big show. It don't have to be a big feeling. You just got to believe because how many times is he going to tell both of y'all the same thing? By so many people. The same thing. Because what you believe should determine what you do and what you don't do, what you believe. And let me propose this. Ooh, Jesus. Let me propose this, that everything we do is a reflection of what we believe. Everything we do is a reflection on what we really believe. Help me, Jesus. Those that have put all of their hope in their jobs. Because you believe that your job is going to get you the things that you're looking for. Not Jesus. All of us who have put all our hope in our relationships. Because you believe that that relationship is going to get you everything that you want. Not Jesus. Those of us who have put all our hope in our religion because we believe that doing these things is going to get me what I want. Not Jesus. Because you could have religion without Jesus. Because then it becomes just a formula. Drop some money in the basket and God gives you back more. Press down, shaking together and running over. That's what the word said, right? If I don't pay my tithes, then I'm going to be cursed with a curse. So I got to pay God my protection money so he don't curse me. So he's only asking for 10%. Loan sharks want more, but God only asking for 10%. So you give God his 10%, then he won't bother you now. 
Your religion can't save you. Relationships can't save you. Your career can't save you. So this is the end point. Hope thou in God. Whatever hope that you're having for your life needs to be centered in Jesus. Put him at the head of the whole thing. Make sure that your hope, when your hope for joy, your hope for peace, your hope for security, your hope for comfort, make sure that that hope is founded in your relationship with the Lord. If you put him as your hope and then apply your faith in order to protect that hope, because when your mind is assaulted, your faith kicks in. When your emotions are assaulted, your faith kicks in. When your actions are assaulted, your faith kicks in because I've got to hold on to my hope in the Lord because as long as I can hold on to my hope in the Lord then I know that at the end I will be victorious I will get what Jesus wants I will be the person that the Lord wants me to be I will accomplish my purpose and my destiny now it was said that Jeremiah 29 11 is not ours I say it is. And why? Because God promised that to his children. Now, when it was spoken through Jeremiah to the children of Israel, it was because the circumstance that they was in. But it was spoken to Anthony when he came to this church here. I know the plans that I have for you. I know. To give you a hope and a future. I know what I'm doing with you. I spoke to you. And I know he spoke to uh, Pastor Grimaldi and Sister Grimaldi. He spoke to the, um, the sister that founded the place. He sent her here from upstate and had her built. God spoke something in this place. So it's going to stay on our wall. Because I know that he spoke a word. That I know the plans I have for you. Now, you got to find your hope. So I challenge you today. Bow your heads with me. Where has your hope been founded? When you look at what it could be, is it something that you made up in your own mind? Or is it centered around Jesus? When you want it, is it something that's honoring the Lord? Or is it just for your own comfort, your own pleasure? That might be the problem. That's why your faith is falling off, because your hope is in the wrong thing. So today, I, I want all of us to stop. And look at where, where is your hope? What is it that you're hoping in? That I'm going to get what I want? That I'm just going to be happy? Is that your hope? Because if it is, you need to tear down that idol and put the Lord back in his place. Let the Lord Jesus Christ be the center of your hope. Then use your faith. To guard that hope. And you know, you know that when it's said and done, you will be victorious. You will win. So I'm going to ask everyone 
that's realized that, okay, I, I've got some problems with my hope or I've got some problems with my faith and I just want to acknowledge my need today. So I'm asking you to just stand with me. Say, ah, my hope might have gotten sidetracked. My faith is not what it should be. So I'm, I'm uh, Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm acknowledging my need. I'm acknowledging I'm just not there, Lord. I'm acknowledging, I, Lord, I need some help today because I got to get this right. I got, God, I got to get this right. God, I've got to get this right. I don't want to keep going round and round and round. I don't want to keep feeling frustrated and upset, God. I don't want to keep walking in darkness and wasting time. God, I want to get this right. So I come before you, Lord God. Those songs we sang, I want it to be the truth of my life, Lord. I'm making it a prayer before you, oh God, Lord, that you would work in me and move in me. Lord, God, change me. Lord, where my hope has gotten distracted, where I place my hope in myself and my wants and my desires. God, I'm tearing that down right now. And my hope will be in you, Lord. My hope for my life will be in you. My hope for my joy will be in you. My hope for love will be in, oh, will be in you, Lord God. God, and as I evaluate my faith, Lord, I realize that some of it is just me. It's not real faith. So, God, I'm asking you to strengthen my faith now, Lord. Lord, every test that I go through, everything that happens, Lord God, Lord, I'm asking you to teach me through it. Grow me through it. Strengthen me through it, Lord God. Make my faith stronger, Lord God. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to fast, Lord God, so that it continues to build on what you have already done, Lord. Lord, that my life will reflect your glory. Lord, I humble myself before you, oh God. I realize that I'm not perfect, oh God. I realize I can't be without you. But I'm asking you to perfect me, Lord. Ah, Jesus. I'm asking you to perfect me, oh God. To make me, mold me, and shape me, Lord God, according to your will. Lord, when it's all said and done, I want to hear, well done. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. And I know, Lord, with your help, I will. And I thank you. Amen. 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 Y'all may be seated.